What's going on, noon service? Didn't Cody do an awesome job? Can we just give him another round of applause? Man, we're so blessed for Northland Harvest to let us have him come and lead us today. And it's so cool. I love that just idea of just, you know, we're all part of one big family. We worship in different local churches. And, uh, but at the end of the day, same team, right? Team Jesus trying to advance the kingdom of God here. And we can celebrate in that. And so, so good. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Tom and I'm one of the pastors here. And how we start most of our services, we just kind of lay out why we do what we do every week. And we're passionate about creating a space in Minot where everybody's welcome no matter where you're at on the faith journey. And so if you came in here today because somebody kind of drug you in today, like, you know, just, hey, kept pestering you and bothering you and the donuts and the coffee were kind of that icing on the cake, like, okay, I'll get donuts and coffee. And you just kind of came in and you're going, I don't know what to expect. I'm excited you are here and I'm hoping that God has something in store for you. Or maybe you came in here and you're limping in, just something's going on in your life, you just got some stuff, some sin, some junk, some things, and you just don't know where to turn, you're just coming in looking for help, like it's a hospital, and I just want to say, wherever you're at too, I hope God meets your needs, and the other end of the spectrum is those who are just chasing after Jesus, they're excited about their faith, God is doing a work, I'm pumped you are here too, and um, I believe just every Sunday when we gather together in the name of Jesus, open his word that he does something incredible, and so um, just keep coming, no matter what, just keep coming back, just keep coming back, and just expect God to speak in some sort of way. But um, before we get too far in, uh, last week we shared a little bit about a really cool event we have coming up, and on March 5th, married couples specifically, go ahead and mark your calendars, March 5th. At our downtown location, that's a Saturday night, we're going to offer a date night out on The Pursuit. And so what we're going to do is um, we're going to have free child care that night. So you can go ahead and just bring your, bring your kids there and drop them off. And then for the first 40 married couples, you have to be married and you have to come by the downtown Pursuit, whether you have kids or not, let's stop by. We're going to give you guys a free date in a box. And <coughs> what's going on here? <coughs> there we go. And it must be that Red Bull we drank between services. But, uh, but yeah, so day in a box. And the cool thing about this is we're going to have all sorts of fun stuff in here to make you have an awesome experience that night or just create and facilitate some things for you to do as a couple to, to, to grow together. And I hope is you guys have an awesome night. I mean, we just believe in marriages. We believe that God wants to uh, strengthen the marriage of the pursuit. And so we just want to um, give you guys a chance to go out and have some fun. But um, we're in the middle of a sermon series, third weekend, called Best Advice I Ever Got. And the premise of it is we want to do a sermon series focused on marriage in particular, but we know that people are in different walks of life. And so we started off two weeks ago with the sermon that was uh, directly geared towards the single people. Nick came up here and just laid a challenge down for the singles in the church to um, really just seek the Lord, seek the Lord in a time of singleness and just trust in God. And it all starts there, and it was awesome. And so last week, um, we jumped into a sermon in... in, in um, it was uh, couples that pray together, stay together. That was the piece of advice that we kind of started from. Couples that pray together, stay together. And what's crazy is the statistics show that if couples would pray together every single day, you almost fail-proof your marriage. Statistics show that like the, the national average divorce rate is 50%. But couples that pray together every single day, the divorce rate drops to one in a thousand or so couples. It's incredible what the power of prayer does. And it's not, it's not this magic act of you know, grabbing our spouse's hand and praying. It's the fact that we invite Jesus into the equation, the one who is faithful when we're unfaithful, the covenant keeper when we're covenant breakers, the one who um, can do what we cannot do. And so we're so excited about it. And today we're going to keep the ball rolling. We're going to jump into another piece of advice that maybe some of you have heard before. But the whole premise of it is, is throughout our journey, whether you're a Christian or not, 
wise people kind of give us some like one line nuggets of wisdom that we choose to either take or don't take. And a few of them I wrote down, they were kind of silly, but I remember this one, but very applicable to my not have you, is this, don't eat yellow snow. And um, just an important one, I know most of you know that, and just a hey, quick poll, anybody eat yellow snow? Anybody tried it? Nobody, thankfully. You know, I think the second service, we had a couple hands up. I was like, you nasty. Like, that just seems like common sense. But anyways, or, or we've been talking about the even more important one, don't eat brown snow. It's kind of like Russian roulette. You might get, you know, a mud pie, but you might get something else. So just be careful. When the snow is any color than white, just be leery about putting it in your mouth, you know. So you guys, there you go. There's a freebie today. Um, another one, don't spit into the wind. If you've done that, you've gotten a loogie right back in your face. Um, another one, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And uh, just some funny ones, but just you, maybe you've had some guiding things in your life. And I remember two specific pieces of advice that I got as a young man. And one, once I was in junior high, and I was playing baseball, and I remember I was out on the, the diamond practicing, and uh, some guy was hitting me grounders, and I was just getting eaten up by them. I just couldn't, just kept eating me up, and so I kept you know, missing them, and so I took my glove off, and I slammed it down in frustration. I just was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this, and this guy said, man, if you say that, it will always come true. If you say, I can't do it, it will always be that way. He said, instead, say, man, it's really hard, but don't give up. Keep working at it. Maybe you can do it, and so I started saying, stop saying, I can't do it, and said, man, I can with some practice, and it was very transformational to me, and then when I was in high school, I came to know the Lord, and um, I was this um, completely different guy. Maybe you've had that experience before. And I just so desperately wanted my family and my friends to see this new found Tom, this new creation in Christ. And so I was overzealous in my faith. I mean, I'm telling you, I was like, you think I'm preaching now? Like, I was preaching back then. Like, you run into me at the grocery store, like, hey, here's the Romans Road kind of preachy. Like, I was just jacked up about what Jesus Christ had done in my life. And I couldn't help but share him with others. And um, I was pushing people away. You know, if you get too pushy in your faith, it's actually a hindrance to the gospel at times. And so a wise man told me, he said, hey, your actions speak louder than your words. Just live it out. Let, let your faith, let the work of Jesus Christ inside you transform the way that you live. And the people will see it, and then you can get the credibility to talk to him. And I thought, man, that's so good. And it gave me some traction as a young man. And so I know all of you at some point, maybe you've gotten some sage wisdom along the way, and that's kind of the premise of this as we think about the context of marriage, married couples. Maybe when you were getting married, some people shared a few pieces of advice that have continued to stick with you as you've gone forward, and so that's what we're doing is just taking some of the best advice, and more than that, we're examining it through the lens of Scripture and just trying to take the truth out of it so as married couples in this church, we can get some traction and and uh, we can go forward with that. So the piece of advice that we're going to get into today is this one. It's don't go to bed angry. Anybody ever heard that? Don't go to bed angry or don't let the sun go down in your anger. Quite a few of you. And I hear this. This isn't just something that Christians say. This is something I've heard outside the Christian circle. Don't go to bed angry. And this is what the premise of that advice is. It says if you're married and you've got some conflict in your relationship, before you go to bed, you just need to address it because you know this. If you let things fester, they tend to kind of drive a wedge that we're going to talk about between the married couple. So just deal with it. That night, before you go to bed, as you're laying in bed, just say, man, we've been off. Let's, let's get things right. And so it's that, it's that, it's that idea that about resolving conflict. Just don't go to bed angry. Now in marriage, and we say this all the time, it's not a matter of if you'll experience conflict it's a matter of when you'll experience conflict. Amen, married couples, right? You will experience conflict if you're married. That's just part of the journey. 
And so what we want to do is talk about how do we fight fair? How do we fight the way God wants us to fight? Because if we are going to have conflict in our marriage, that's just part of living in a broken world. We need to get some traction on how to successfully navigate that and do it God's way. And I don't know how many couples that I meet, and they have no idea how to navigate conflict. Inevitably, little things turn into big things, and small wedges turn into big wedges. And in relationships, when conflict isn't handled well, there becomes a gap that's so far that it almost seems hopeless for the couples. And a lot of people just give up. And so today, we're going to um, jump into that. And uh, it's just a silly example I put on here is, you know, this is just guys and girls' differences, but, you know, guys leave the toilet seat up, and, well, that's not a big deal, right? This is, it's just a toilet seat. Leave it up or put it down. You know, in the context of marriage, you know, a guy starts leaving the toilet seat up over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Ladies, you hear what I'm saying? Like, that's what it feels like. Like, are you kidding me? Just put the freaking toilet seat down. Like, not a big deal, but when it happens over and over again, and, and we just can't resolve it, and all of a sudden, that one time, the dude leaves the toilet seat up again, and it's like just 9-11, World War 16 just erupted, and it gets crazy over a stinking toilet seat, but it's because we just have not learned how to deal with the little things that inevitably turn into big things. And so as we explore this great piece of advice, don't go to bed angry or do not let the sun go down on your anger, um, I want you guys to know that this is kind of a survey of conflict resolution through Scripture. Now, I'm definitely not an expert up here. I'm no um, author of Love and Respect or some of those books. I'm just a young married dude trying to hold it together and love my wife well. And so I don't always get it right. Sometimes I don't fight very well. And uh, this has been good for me, just as personal study, to get some traction. And so I can love my wife um, the way Christ has called me to love. But um, this actually, believe it or not, even though Christians and non-Christians use this piece of advice, it comes straight from Scripture. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be in verse 25 through 27. And Paul, he's the author of this, and Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and Paul wrote a lot of letters, and the letters were dealing with church drama, conflict, and so he spent a lot of his time talking about how the heck, as broken people, do we live in community, so that's got, hello, some good application for married couples who are living in very close community, and so I love this. He's talking to a church about how to get over some of the differences within it. And in this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, although not specific to marriage in broader in application, is so applicable for marriage. It says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. And then this is where the piece of wisdom that kind of started this conversation today comes in. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And um, I love this, is, is what we're going to do today is before we jump into that kind of power pack statement, that best piece of advice we ever heard of, don't go to bed angry, we're going to kind of go verse by verse and just kind of let God speak through it. So let's not skip ahead to that. Um, let's start in verse 25 today. And it says this, is therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. If you're married, you could say, speak truthfully to your spouse, for we are all members of one body. And this is just a Bible reading tip for you. If you're in Scripture and a verse starts with the word therefore, you should always ask, what is it therefore? And so anytime you see the word therefore, 
Don't just take a preacher's word for it. Kind of go and read the preceding verses, what came before it, because that will give some context to why the author is saying, therefore, such and such. And so, just to give my Tom Foisey paraphrase, to not read it verse by verse, what Paul's talking about is he's telling the church in Ephesus, he's saying, hey, before you came to know Jesus, you were your old self. And you used to live a certain way before Jesus. Am I right? If you don't have Jesus or you're before Jesus, you lived a certain way of life. Now, when you received Jesus, when you became to know a Christian, you became a new person or a new self. The Bible says that we become a new creation in him. And he's saying, listen, church, your old self lived like this, and now your new self in Jesus is called to live differently. And so then he says, therefore... Each of you must put off falsehood and speak, speak truthfully to your neighbor. Now I want to start right there. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. I think one of the major challenges that we face when it comes to dealing with conflict or fighting fair is this, is falsehoods, is we let falsehoods creep into our conversation. Now, I know there's some married couples that um, just bold-faced lie to each other, right? And that's a whole different issue, right? Just people who, you know, like they just can't speak without a lie creeping in. And it's one lie after the other after the other. And that's some serious issues that needs to be addressed. And so I don't want those of us who are in marriages to go, well, I'm not just straight up lying to my wife all the time. Or I'm not just straight up lying to my husband all the time to go, hey, this verse isn't for me. I believe that falsehoods creep into our conflict in more subtle ways that we don't even recognize but can be equally and damaging if not noticed. And here's what I mean by that. When we fight unfairly, or we fight not God's way, as we say statements like this, you always do this. You always do that. You always have to have the last word. I hear that all the time. I'm always like, but, but, nope, I ain't no. And so she says, you always have to have the last word. You always leave the toilet seat up. You always do this or that. Or you never, you never do the dishes. You never flush the toilet. You never listen to me. You only think of yourself. And you know you get caught using those. When you're in the heat of the moment, like you're just saying, like, you always do this thing. But catch yourself for a second. That is a falsehood. Do they always, every single time, do that? They may do it 99% of the time. They may do it 95% of the time. But when you start to use language like that, you know this. All of a sudden, defense mechanisms come up. Now, here's my example, the toilet seat example. And I'm just stuck on bathroom stuff. I don't know what it is, but it's just where my, where my examples are going today. But I said, that, so a husband leaves the toilet seat up again for the millionth time. And the wife is mad and frustrated, and you tell him, I'm so frustrated. You always leave the freaking toilet seat up. Like, are you kidding me? Let me tell you where his mind's going to go. He's going to be thinking in his head, I'm going to find the one time, like when we first got married when I was still doing like nice things and I remember to be courteous and that sort of stuff, where I did do it, and I'm going to blow up her whole argument, and you go, hey, sweetie, I don't always do that. In fact, I did it this time, so you're wrong. And then pretty soon you're arguing not about what the real issue is. You're arguing about how many times you have done this or whether the word always never works. And you know this. As soon as someone starts accusing you of always or never, it is almost impossible to not put up that like, hey, let's go. Are you ready to go? Like, are we, are we going to have a verbal argument? Like, let's go. You know what I mean? And so he's saying we let falsehoods creep in. I think it comes in subtly when we start to make statements that really aren't true. But we say them because we want to win the fight. So Paul is saying, 
more or less, be careful how you communicate about you not using falsehoods because when you use falsehoods, there's nothing, there's no greater roadblock into overcoming conflict than speaking out of turn, speaking falsehoods. Um, so I want to go on here, and the end of verse 25 says this. It says, we are all members of one body. Now, broadly speaking, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, we're all members of one body. It's called the church, no matter what local church you go to. And Paul is saying, hey, at the end of the day, when you experience conflict, I want you to know it's the same team. Your same team. Team Jesus, like, like you're fighting for the same thing because I think what happens when we get into arguments as brothers and sisters of Christ, or more specifically in marriage, it becomes me versus you, us versus them. It's this spouse versus this spouse. And Paul would say to you, listen, same team, when you got married and you made a commitment in front of God and your family, you were saying the two become one flesh, hello, one flesh, united. And so ultimately, you're not two different people fighting for different things. You're ultimately fighting to come back together to be unified in the Lord. And this might be a game changer for some of you, and it's so simple, such common sense. I'm not bringing any new revelation to blow your mind, but it's sometimes good to be reminded of this stuff. The goal in a marriage when you fight, or the goal in general as brothers and sisters, isn't to win the fight. Sometimes we think it is, right, to win the fight. I need to win. I need to tell this person why I'm right and they're wrong. The goal is to be united and reconciled back to one another. Now, I say this all the time to couples is this, is, is if you win enough fights in your marriage, you will ultimately lose your marriage. If your goal is every time you experience conflict is that you are to win that argument, if you win enough fights, I promise you, you might just find yourself losing your marriage because the goal of conflict isn't to win the, the one or the other. The goal of conflict is to come back together and resolve that tension so we can be one body or one flesh in our relationships. We must extend grace to one another. Now, there's a great book. I kind of alluded to it already, but it's called Love and Respect, and, and um, they're, they're available out there for purchase after service for like five bucks. We want to give it to you at like half the cost. And in the book, um, which by the way, like, like I said, I'm just giving you a survey. I'm no expert on this, but in there he goes in depth of how men and women are different. Husband and wives, they act different, and, and talks about the, the complexities of, of that it brings to that relationship. And in there, but there's some this, this nugget of wisdom I want to share with you guys. And he said, man, when you get in the conflict mode, you should do your best to put on pink sunglasses or blue sunglasses or pink hearing aids or blue hearing aids. And what he means by that, it was saying, you know, when you start to have some tension in a relationship, it's so easy to pounce and want to win, but if you could just stop for a second and try to look at the issue from their perspective and go, man, why is it that's really troubling them or what's the hurt in this? You may still disagree after putting and looking at it through that perspective, but when you begin to seek understanding for where they're coming from, you have greater compassion and empathy as you go forward. And so you can begin to fight fairly on the common ground and go, man, I don't see it that way, but I totally see where maybe your heart was hurt or where you got confused in that. And I'm so sorry. And so it's important for us to do that. So let's keep going. Let's get in the heart of this passage, which is verse 26. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now in this verse right here, there's two things that Paul is really trying to get across. And let's start with the first one. And this is the primary thing that Paul is trying to communicate to couples into the church. And it's this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not sin. 
Now, I've heard stories of some married couples who, like, when they fight, I mean, they fight. Like, dishes come out of the, the cupboard, and, like, mugs start flying across the, the house, and just crazy things start to go because the angers and temper flares. Maybe you've been around someone. Some holes have been punched in some walls because just the emotion of it, we let our anger take over. And in that context, we end up sinning or doing something crazy. Now, you know this, and this is so true, and you know this, and I believe this, and I can vouch for this. It's some of the things that we regret the most in life, either saying to someone we love or doing something to someone we love, came out of acting on anger. Some of the most hurtful things that we say come when we let our anger control us. We sin in our anger. And I've said some things at times, and I'm a no perfect man where I've said something to Shannon, and just my frustration, I go, man, where did that come from? I so do not believe that about you, but in the moment of trying to win this argument, I said something so cutting and what's crazy is sometimes when we sin in our anger, they become some of the most lasting wounds that drive that wedge between us, some scars that remain. And we go, man, I totally did not mean that. I don't know where that came from, but it was sinning in our anger. Now, it's important to note here that anger in itself is not sinful. In fact, the Bible talks about righteous anger and unrighteous anger, and that's a whole other sermon the thing to note is that we shouldn't sin in our anger. It's okay in marriage when you get frustrated. Like, yeah, you're going to get angry. But it's what we do with our anger that determines whether we sin or don't sin. And this is what I put in here. This is a note for some of those who are note takers here is this. Is letting, is it learn, we need to learn to control our anger, anger or it will control us. This is what the Bible is talking about. Or I put it this way, and I think this is more poignant. I said this, learn to control our anger or it'll destroy the most important relationships in our life. And maybe you're going, man, I don't know if I have an anger issue, but, you know, uh, I don't know if it applies to me or not. Well, I want to ask a few questions, and if you answer yes to some of these questions, maybe you're struggling with letting sin creep into your emotional state sometimes. And here's my few questions, kind of as a barometer. Do you speak and act from emotion instead of reason? Do you rarely show grace, but often show wrath? Do you have to win every argument you find yourself in? Can you have a discussion, talk about a difficult subject in your marriage, or does it always have to turn into an argument where your voice gets raised and your emotions take over? Do your words often or sometimes hurt the people that you love the most? And if you answered yes to them, maybe sin is mastering you through your emotion of anger. And I love this, is James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. There's some such practical instruction here. James gives us the most simple, but I think beautiful or perfect instruction on how we're called to deal with our anger. Because ultimately the primary goal, what Paul is talking about here, is not sinning in our anger. And so James speaks to how we master the emotion of anger. And it's so good. It says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So the three things that James says on how to navigate or avoid letting anger control you, he says this, be quick to listen. Isn't that tough right there, be quick to listen? Be slow to speak, and be slow to get angry. Now, most of us who struggle with anger, this is what it looks like. We're slow to listen. 
As soon as I hear something, a hint of a statement coming from your mouth that's attacking me or telling me how I'm in the wrong, I instantly go, no, 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 uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want to hear none of that. Let me tell you why I'm right and you're wrong and you have this whole thing misunderstood and you try to use our words to buy our way out of it and we don't listen, we're quick to talk, quick to speak. Quick to speak, quick to get angry. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who has anger issues? You just cannot resolve conflicts. Like, dude, whatever. You don't even listen to me. It's not even worth talking to you because you just blow up as soon as I tell you what's really going on in my heart. And we're never going to resolve this because you just struggle with your anger. Now, I'd be curious. This will be, I've been challenging the, the, the other services here today. If you want to get to know somebody and see if they struggle with anger really quickly, is invite someone you haven't met today in church and, and go out to lunch, and I want you to bring up politics. Wouldn't that be fun? Let's go, what do you think of that South Carolina primary? Who are you voting for? And then play devil's advocate and just see how they respond. Like, see the, the levels rise and go, yep, okay, that person, that, here, James chapter one for you, buddy. Like, here you go. Like, doing some ministry here, so. But self-controlled people that James is talking about, they do some very wise things. They start by listening. They're slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak. Because when you listen to somebody's heart, even if you disagree, when you try to look at him through a different set of lens and go, what's really going on here? You can respond from a place of compassion and empathy and grace as opposed to wrath and anger and emotion. And so if you struggle today with anger and, 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 and you know that your temper gets the best of you and it makes it so you don't fight fairly in the context of your most important relationships, it starts right here. If you want to overcome, it starts with repentance. Saying, God, please forgive me for how I've let my emotions overtake me at times and say some hurtful things and do some hurtful things. Through your spirit, help me and empower me to live differently because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the message of the gospel. I can't, but he can. I can't control my tongue, but I have the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead living inside of me. So because of that, I can. And I would encourage you to camp out on James chapter 1, verse 19 through 20 for a couple weeks. Just spend some time reading it and go, God, help me to practice this today. Help me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And when someone says something and all of a sudden your emotion start to rise, go, nope, I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be quick to listen. I'm going to be slow to speak. And allow the Holy Spirit to work through that and see how the conflict in your life begins to be able to be resolved in a godly manner. And if you're really unsure if you have an anger issue or not, ask the people closest to you. Ask your spouse, say, hey, do I have an anger issue? I promise you they'll tell you. If, you're, if you want the truth, they'll tell you, and sometimes the truth hurts. But we need to hear the truth so we can know where to start to find healing and overcome the things we struggle with. So give it a try. And then verse 26, the second part of it says, in your anger, do not sin. And then here's where that best of advice comes from, where we started this whole conversation today. It says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So that's the second part of the verse is, don't go to bed angry. And what's important to note here is if you have your Bibles open, you might have a little footnote that says that Paul is actually quoting a passage of Scripture from Psalms chapter 4, or the book of Psalms 4, verse 4. And in that, and I want to read it because you'll see the similarities, but you're also going to see some differences in advice between what Paul gives and what the psalmist gives. It says this, do not sin by letting anger control you. It says that in Psalm 4.4, 4, and it says that in Ephesians 4.26. 
But the second part of Psalm 4-4 goes a different direction. It says this, think about it overnight and remain silent. So Ephesians, Paul says, don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the author of Psalm 4 says, hey, don't sin in your anger. Remain silent and sleep on it. And so we had these two kind of conflicting different pieces of advice. Now, I know some couples who swear by don't go to, don't go to bed angry. And they just, they're able to every night just before they go to bed, let the emotions cool off. And they're able to sit, you know, together and just have that moment. They say, man, sweetie, I'm sorry, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they can resolve conflict. And I go, man, praise God. That's amazing. But there's some of us, and sometimes like Shannon and I, when we fight, the emotions are running high. I'm passionate, as you can't tell. I'm a preacher, so I'm passionate by nature. And my wife is a strong personality, and so we get to button heads, and our emotions are rising and growing. There's no way on earth that we're going to solve this tonight. Otherwise, we're going to kill each other in the process. And so we go, man, instead of sinning in our anger, because that's the common thread between the two, is not sinning in our anger, we go, hey, let's just cool off. Let's sleep on it tonight. And let's come back to it tomorrow. Let's just let the emotion kind of wear off because we're going to do something we regret if we don't just back off right now and just have some time to pray and reflect. And so whether you are a couple and you can go to bed and resolve it overnight because you don't let the anger control you or whether you're sometimes like Shannon and I that has to sleep on it, the key is, is not letting our sin overcome us in anger. And then the second part of this, of this passage, and I would, and this is seen throughout the entirety of Scripture. Anytime the Scripture talks about how to deal with conflict, this is important. This is, it could be good for your notes, too. It's so simple, but so good. It doesn't come natural to us. Is don't avoid conflict, but deal with the conflict. Psalms 4.4 4 is not saying avoid the conflict. Sleep on it overnight, and then forget about it, and don't talk about it. No, when it says that, it's implying that the next day or at some point soon, you're going to come back together and you're going to address the issue right on. Because it's human nature, we avoid conflict. People that love conflict, you're just a weird breed. Like, shame on you for just, like, going at it. Most of us as humans, we go, I don't like conflict. And it's even seen in Genesis chapter 2 when Adam and Eve sin, and God shows up. Hello, some conflict is about to take place. And what do Adam and Eve do? They go and hide in the bushes because they're afraid. And that's what we do as humans. Naturally, we hide in all sorts of places going, I don't want to deal with that. That is scary to get face-to-face with someone that I'm struggling with. But Scripture throughout it, from Old Testament to New Testament, when it comes to conflict, it says we should come together and address the things that are standing between us. And here's just a couple tips that Shannon and I have learned to practice. And I know you guys probably have some tips. As a married couple, you'll figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you. One thing that we always do is we schedule tough conversations. We do. We find that we're too passionate of people that in the moment, if we spring it on each other, like, hey, you know, over, we're watching, you know, end of the day, we're watching TV, and, you know, I'm like, hey, sweetie, let's talk about this certain subject. Like, it's a recipe for explosive conversation. So if we have something important we want to talk about, we go, hey, let's go to dinner on Wednesday night, and let's talk about this issue. And so what's cool about that is it gives us time to prepare our heart for it, to go, God, listen, I know my emotions run high when I talk about it, but I want to solve this conflict so her and I can be united, not divided. So prepare my heart to speak softly, to show grace, to approach it that way. And that's worked for us. You know, when we're, when we're struggling to, to navigate through something difficult in our marriage, we go, man, let's table it for a second. Let's remove the emotion, and let's not avoid it, but let's come back to it, and we can talk about it and address it in a God-honoring way. 
Another thing that we've seen couples do and encouraged to do is sometimes when communication is really broken down is write down what's really going on. Sometimes you can't talk in the moment, but write down your thoughts, man. Share your heart on paper and say, man, I know every time we talk about this issue, it's so difficult, so I decided to write down what's really going on. Here's my heart. Just, just listen to it and just, you know, just share what's going on. And sometimes that helps kickstart the communication when we write out what's going on. And, and it's so good. But whatever it is, whatever tip that you can come up with, whatever works for you guys, find a way that helps you guys to resolve conflict and avoids sinning in your anger. Because what happens is, this is what verse 27 is warning against. It says this. We do these things because it says, and, we, and do not give the devil a foothold. You see, when we start to allow our sin to control us, when we speak in falsehoods, when we get divided instead of united, a wedge begins to go between the most important relationships, and over time, as it gets pounded in deeper and deeper, that gap widens, and the devil's got a foothold in the most important relationships. So he's saying, do these things because we have a very real enemy out there that wants to destroy marriages. Married couples, you guys need to hear this. You guys didn't hear this? This is some straight talk from Tom. The, the devil would love more than anything in the world to disrupt marriages like he's doing today because scripturally it says that marriage is a reflection of Jesus Christ and his church. Hello, husband and wife, reflect that imagery. And so if he can blow up the marriages inside the church, maybe he can begin to blow up the church as a whole. And so he's going to try to destroy the church through your marriage so no, be prepared that when you guys are fighting, when you're like, why aren't we just off today? What's going on? Why are we not showing any grace? Remember that the battle, as Ephesians says, is not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy and go, okay, I see what's going on. There's a battle that's going on that's trying to separate us and recognize that maybe someone's trying to get a foothold in your marriage. What I love about this, and this is the hope that we have, and this is what we preach every single week, and if you're here at The Pursuit, you probably have heard this a million times, and we will say it almost every week, if not every week, because this is the power of what we do every day, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's what this is right here. The best news on the, is on the planet is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to destroy sin, to eliminate the gaps that stand between us and God. And consequently, he can do the same thing in our marriage. He can destroy the gap that separates husband and wife. I love that. I love that. That's what the gospel is all about. You see, one thing that happens is, is and this is the imagery, and we can take it to husband and wife, is that, and this is the gospel in, 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 in different terms, is, is this, is we have a holy God, a holy, perfect God. And we have a sinful, broken mankind, or woman, or man, or woman. And you better believe there's a big gap that stands between. But when Jesus came by his blood on the cross, he destroyed sin and death, the gap that stood between. So sinful, broken mankind could be reunited with the holy God and reconciled to him. And sometimes we think of salvation in Christ's work solely in the terms of our individual lives, but it is a communal thing. It's the church. It's in our homes, in our marriages, and God wants to do the same thing in your marriage. And I'm here to tell you that the quickest way to destroy the gap that stands between husband and wife is practice this thing called forgiveness. Fig forgiveness destroys footholds. It really does. Easier said than done, I know that. 
Matthew 18, verse 21 through 22. And by the way, this was a, the same, same uh, chapter of scripture we preached from last week. And if you read Matthew chapter 18, a big chunk of Matthew 18 is about how to deal with conflict by Jesus' words. Jesus' words. And in this, he has this great quote. He's having a conversation with one of his disciples, Peter, and talking about conflict and talking about forgiveness. And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Well, that's a lot of forgiveness, seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or seven, seven times 70, depending on your translation. And what Jesus was saying, there's no infinite amount of forgiveness that we should extend to one another because that's the example that God gave through us through his son, Jesus Christ. Anytime that we come to God in a repentant way, a posture of humility and forgiveness, the Bible says he is quick to forgive, to extend grace instead of wrath, to give us mercy instead of punishment. And in the context of our marriage, we are also called to do the same, to forgive one another. Now I know that's not easy. Listen, when your spouse has wounded you deeply, when there's fresh wounds there and there's things that are just festering that seem so deep, such a scar or a wound that's open that seems so deep, you go, man, I just cannot forgive them for what they did. Think about how we look before a holy God, but God still forgives us because of his son, Jesus, because of his great love and mercy for all humanity, and we're called to have the same example. And forgiveness is not a denial of the hurt or the pain that we receive. When you forgive someone, you're not going, hey, you know what, I'm going to forget about and I'm going to just pretend like this wound inside is gone. I'm going to say in spite of, in the middle of this wound that I need healing in, I'm going to choose to forgive you because I know that's the route that God has called me to do. And ultimately through forgiving somebody, it helps us find healing in the process. So I want to encourage you married couples. If you recognize that there's a foothold, there's a wedge between you, the first and foremost thing that needs to be done is to seek forgiveness between one another. What I mean by this is if you know that you are in the wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness. Quit making excuses, quit blaming the other person for how they kind of in a roundabout way made you to do it. If you sinned against your spouse, if you sinned against a brother and sister, you just need to come and humbly say, man, there's a wedge and I'm responsible for that and I just want to seek forgiveness and then on the other end I need you to extend forgiveness if you've been hurt and been wrong because forgiveness eliminates the gap caused by sin it it destroys the footholds that Satan has in our life and if as married couples if we could forgive each other more if we could show each other a little bit more grace good things would happen now I'm not saying once you extend forgiveness all is well that all of a sudden it's just there's no issues that need to be resolved. You still might have some communication issues that need to be worked through. You still might have some deep-seated hurts that need to be overcome. There might be some trust issues that need to be worked on. But if you want to eliminate that gap and start with Jesus at the center, you have to learn to seek forgiveness by asking for forgiveness and extending forgiveness because it's the way of the cross. Following Jesus is not easy. It really isn't. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ calls us to do things that are so backwards and contrary to what we feel inside. But we gotta trust that God's way is better. God knows better than us. 
and let's fight the way God wants us to fight, which isn't to win an argument, but to fight for our marriage, fight for our churches to stay unified so we can be the most effective at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our world. So what I want to do is I want to invite you guys to stand. Cody's up here, and we're going to close in a worship song. And uh, during this worship song, I want to invite you to, to do and respond how God wants you to respond. So if you've got some unresolved things in your life, and you just need to take a moment in these next few moments to just pray and ask for forgiveness and repent, or you just need a moment to just pray and invite God into your marriage or process, whatever it is, don't let this time slip away from you. We have a little spot in the back that's got some curtains. You can go there and have some privacy if you just need to pray. Otherwise, I just encourage you to join in and worship with the song. Pray that this would be a chance for us to just draw near to God and let the word of God sink into our hearts. And so, excited about what he's doing here, but let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for um, this day. Lord, I know that um, as long as we live in a broken world, we will always have fights and disagreements. It's just part of being human this side of eternity. But Lord, thank you that you've given us instruction in your scripture of how to fight fairly, how to fight God's way. Lord, the ultimate goal isn't for me or any of us to win, to be elevated, but to remain unified as a body and as a married couple. Lord, so we follow your lead, which is the way of forgiveness and grace instead of wrath and mercy instead of punishment. And even when it's difficult, we choose to walk that road. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and how it's made all the difference for us, how we can be united to a holy God. And more, Lord, may you do that same miraculous work in our marriages today. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.